0: Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Judah with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence, they make a covenant with Assyria and oil. Is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah, and he will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself, and all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions, and through the prophets gave parables— if there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet the Lord brought Israel Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. So his Lord will leave his will leave his blood guilt on him, and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we again Today, I want to understand, Lord, we we need to return to you by the help of our God. And Lord, we do need your help. Um, Our our minds are confused. We have all of the the voices and all the influences of the world that shape the way we think, the way we interpret. But Lord, we want to interpret your word, not what we want your word to be. So give us your spirit um, to understand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. is America a nation in decline? I think that that's a, a question that we face often. I, I've heard people ask that question. I've, I've seen it in, in articles and, and conversations. And when you, when you turn on the news, you think, is America a nation in decline? You see a global pandemic, political division, racial division, increased violence in major cities, moral confusion distrust of institutions, growing national debt, increased inflation, breakdown of traditional family, rising suicide rates. And you could go through so many other issues. And I know that we're told in Ecclesiastes that it can be uh, a heart of foolishness to assume that things are worse in your own time than in prior times, uh, that, that every generation has been hard and difficult in its own way. But still, people look at what it goes on in the world and they say, is this a time of decline or of fall? And if flowing out of that, you could ask another question, that is, what does a declining nation look like? What does a nation look like when it's about to fall? And if you like reading books with pretentious names, um, you, could, you could read books like The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, or you could read uh, the Gulag Archipelago, or you could read the, the, the Rise and Fall of the, the Third Reich, or you could ri- read other books about the history of civilizations and cultures that, that rose and declined over time. And you could learn a lot about, w- w- are there commonalities of, of cultures that are in decline? What are those commonalities? But you could also look at the scripture and you could look at Israel at the time of Hosea. This is one of the themes that we've been coming back over and over again in the book of Hosea, that he's ministering to the northern kingdom of Israel in the final years of that kingdom, before it would be destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. So he was at a time where it really was, knowing, especially with hindsight 2020, it was the end of that society. It was the final decline of that nation and so you say what did Israel look like during that final time that it was a nation that was prosperous they had great wealth they had great confidence they had optimism for the future but on the inside it was it was decadent it was idolatrous and it was about to decline and fall And the prophets saw it coming But so many people in the culture didn't see it coming at the time. And so that's what we're going to look at today from this text. We're going to to look at both warning and hope for Israel in decline. And then by extension, it's warning and hope for any nation in decline. And so let's start off first here and look at the warning for a nation, for a culture in decline. And you'll notice that Hosea describes the decline of his own time. This is at the very end of chapter 11, uh, there in verse 12, he says that Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. And so they're living for deceit, they're living for lies. Moving into chapter 12, he says, Ephraim feeds on the wind. That what they're feeding themselves on is something that has no substance, that is worthless. We read in scripture that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But they weren't feeding on the word of God, they were feeding on the wind. And it says that they multiplied falsehood, that the falsehood and the lies were increasing or growing, and that they pursued violence as well, that the the falsehood led to great violence, and that they made a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. And so they're making these alliances with the the nations, with the the people around them, relying on these sinful nations rather than on their God. And though the the details here are unique to Israel 2,700 years ago, That what we're seeing in these verses and throughout this book is a pattern for any people, any culture in decline. There's a really helpful reflection on this from a commentary uh, by a guy named Derek Kidner. It's been to me the most helpful commentary working through this series. It's short, which is helpful. It actually is very concise, but has a lot of insights. And so when he was commenting on this text before us today, he said, It happened this way in Hosea's time, in a downward spiral of meaningless religion, moral anarchy, feverish hedonism, deceitfulness in politics and diplomacy, and in the end, friendlessness and ruin. It would not be hard to find at least parts of this pattern reproduced wherever other groups and nations have started on such a path. And I think as I, as I read that, I thought, well, what does that sound like? I think he, uh, he, he's a UK author, I believe. But it, it sounds like modern Western society. He says a downward spiral of meaningless religion. And isn't that just what we see around us so often, this meaningless religion? Moral anarchy, where we can't decide what is right, what is wrong, what's the authority, who do we trust? Feverish hedonism, where we're just bent on living for entertainment, for pleasure, for uh, whatever the, the passing pleasure is of the moment. Deceitfulness in politics and diplomacy, where we, we're not sure if we can trust in- institutions, we're not sure if we can trust politicians, we're, we're not sure if the, the system works, we're, that there, there is great political division that I mentioned earlier. And then there's this what he described as friendlessness and ruin. And I thought that was an interesting way of describing it. Friendlessness. At the time where we have more friends than ever, but they're Facebook friends, they're Twitter followers, but they're, but it's not that, that sense of real friendship that that goes deeper, where there's commitment, where there's accountability, where there's speaking truth to one another, that, that we, are, we are isolated, friendless, moving towards ruin. It's a, it's a nation in, in decline. But you, could, you can see another description of a nation in decline in verse 7 in our text. Also, I think that this will sound familiar if we're thinking about our own society. Verse 7, he says, a merchant in whose hands are false balances, that he, he's cheating others. He loves to oppress. Verse 8, Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I found wealth for myself, and all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. And so you see here this, this merchant, this, this rich business person who is, he's saying, I'm rich. I have great material wealth. And he says that I have found wealth for myself, that I did this. I'm the one who got the wealth. I'm the one who made the money. I'm the one who worked hard. I'm the one who deserves the things that I have. And that within all of the wealth and all of the cheating, that there is this, this moral pride, this, this smugness where he says, in all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. He's saying, I'm, a, I'm basically a good person. I've done the right thing. And what often is the case with the rich and the powerful in societies around the world is that they start to assume that it's because of their own moral virtue. Well, God has blessed me with wealth. Or I have wealth because I worked hard and other people didn't. Or I was the one who had the great ideas and, and I, I'm very disciplined. And, and look at the other people who aren't as disciplined that the wealth becomes in a sign of moral purity of, of goodness, of, of standing over against those who are not as good in their view. And I think that, that this is the exact response that we can often have, especially in America where just about everybody in America compared to many places in the world has great wealth. And then in an area of the country where it is wealthy even relative to many other places in our nation, that people can have an attitude of, I'm rich, I'm self-confident. And you wouldn't call it moral pride, but you would call it, again, confidence, uh, being sure of yourself, thinking that that money can buy happiness, that that money is the the way to, to, to make it in the world. And that's exactly what we saw in the New Testament reading from Luke chapter 12. You remember that that parable that Jesus told of the rich fool. And he had this great harvest, he had great wealth, and he thought, I have a huge problem. Where am I going to put all of my crops? I don't have enough barns. I don't have enough place to put it all. And so he thought I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I have a 5-year plan for success. And, he, and then he started to dream and think about being able to lay back and eat and drink and be merry and uh, live for pleasure and live for the moment. And the text says, you fool, that this very night your life will be required of you. That, and, and that he was, wasn't rich toward God, that that was the root of the problem. And that, that was the root of the problem for Israel as well, that they were the, the rich fools, who are boasting in their wealth, not knowing that that very time, within their generation, their lives would be required of them. And that we also, ourselves, can be the rich fools who who have great wealth but don't know that our lives can be required of us. And that's what you see in verse 2, where God lays out this judgment against a nation, this warning against a nation. He says in chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord has an indictment against Judah, and he will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. And you remember flowing out of the last chapter, uh, in verse 12 of chapter 11, he had said, Israel, the northern kingdom, is going down this wicked path, but there's still some good in Judah. But even here he says that Judah will be punished that they're going down the, the same path of decline that would eventually lead in exile into Babylon he will punish their deeds or skipping down to verse 14 the, the last verse of that chapter uh, of chapter 12 he says ephraim has given bitter provocation so his lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds that there is judgment coming for this nation in decline. But I think that as we reflect on this, we also have to be very careful. Because we're talking about are there signs of, of decline of a nation? But we also ha- should should remember that in, in scripture, and especially as New Testament believers, that we are not sent out into the world as prophets of doom, but we are sent out into the world as missionaries of hope with the gospel. And that commentary I mentioned earlier, uh, he continues, Kidner continues, and he says, yet while this chapter takes us through some of the stages of decline in a nation— it also braces us with reminders of what can happen when God and man take hold of one another and when God's day of liberation dawns. And so we have to see that, that, that we're not just the, the prophets of doom that, that sit in some sort of a, a moral bunker waiting for the, the world to fall around us. That, that, that can be the temptation. I think that that's the... The mistake that the church has often made, especially in our culture, where we decry the sin and the decline of our culture, and it's right to notice those things, to know what is going on in the society around us, but, but the call is to be the missionary of hope, to bring the good news of the gospel, to see others around us as not as as people in a nation in decline, but that evangelism training I mentioned, he, he called people uh, who don't yet know the Lord pre-Christians. Uh, that That—that—that that is the, the attitude to the world around us, that, that it's, it's pre-Christian, because we have a calling to proclaim hope to the world around us, to call them to the word of God, to the, to the hope that we have through what Christ has done for us on the cross. And that's where we move then from a Warning for a nation in decline to the next section, which is hope for a nation in decline. And look at the hope that begins to shine through in verse 3. He says, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. Now, for those of you who are new to the Bible, you might read that and you say, what in the world is this talking about? And what what's happening here is actually very special and very instructive for us, because the prophet Hosea is actually preaching scripture, earlier scripture, to the people of his time. And he, he knows that they would know the story of Jacob, and that he can apply the story, the life of Jacob, to the people of Israel to show decline, and as we'll see that, that Jacob went through a time of moral decline in his own life. But then he had this encounter with God where he, he wrestled with God, humbled himself, and, and actually then relied on the promises of God. And and so what, what Hosea is saying is that Israel, there is actually hope for you. To follow the pattern of Jacob, who was renamed Israel, where your nation got its name to begin with. And so you remember the story of, of Jacob. There was Abraham, the great patriarch. God gave him promises that through his offspring, all the nations would be blessed. Then came Isaac, his son. God reiterated the promises to Isaac again, that through him, blessing would come to the nations. And then finally came along Jacob, And when Jacob was born, you see the reference to it in our, our text in verse 3, that, that he had a brother, uh, Esau, that they, they were twins, not identical twins, because Esau, it said, was a red and hairy man, and that, that Jacob was, had smooth skin, um, and that plays out in, in the story. But when, when they came out of their mother's womb, Jacob was holding on to the heel, of Esau. And then Jacob was not some great moral saint at the beginning. That that he was really a, a conniving, lying, cheating person. That, that he essentially cheated his brother out of his birthright. And then he lied to his father and stole the, the blessing of his father with the help of his mother. And then he knew that his brother would try to kill him and so he ran away and fled into the, his, the homeland, his ancestral homeland in Mesopotamia and worked for his um, uncle Laban and then ended up marrying his daughters Rachel and Leah. But even there, Jacob was kind of a, a cheat. He was a bit of a conniving person that, that God had appeared to him and, and even given him promises that he would be with him and that the promises to to Abraham and to Isaac would be his. But when he received that the the word, seeing the staircase to heaven with angels ascending and descending, he didn't respond in immediate faith, but he says, Well, I'll do what, what you want me to do if you're gonna do what, what you promised to do, that there's a sense of I'm not sure you're actually going to fulfill this this promise to me. But eventually for Jacob, his, his cheating and uh, his conniving ways caught up to him. And then he had to, to flee from his father-in-law, Laban, um, who was really even more of a cheat than he was. And so he was returning back to the land of Canaan. And when he was getting close to the land, he became terrified because he was going to meet his brother. And he wasn't sure if his brother was still out to get him and out to kill him. And so there's this remarkable section in Genesis Chapter 32, where it describes Jacob wrestling with God all night. And it, it's a confusing text because at, at first you might think that is this, is it an image of, of just prayer? He's wrestling. Sometimes we use that, I'm wrestling with God in prayer, but it's more than that. There were there was some figure there with him, wrestling with him. His hip was put out of joint within that struggle. And he kept calling for God to, to bless him. He didn't let go of him, and and it is one of those passages in the Old Testament where, where it's a little bit ambiguous: is he wrestling with an angel, or is he wrestling with God? He's wrestling with God, but God is spirit, does not have a body like men, is not visible. So who is he wrestling with? And and many think that it was even the preincarnate Christ, this manifestation of of the presence of God with him, wrestling with Jacob. And and look again at the description in verse 4 of Hosea. He said, he strove with the angel, with the messenger, and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. And that is a turning point, then, for Jacob in his life, where his own moral decline, getting to this place of rock bottom, of fear, trepidation comes to this trust and reliance on the promises of God, realizing that the promises to Abraham and to Isaac were, were true for him. And then flowing out of his encounter with God is a remarkable reconciliation with his brother. And he, after that, he's still not a, a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination, showed favoritism to one of his sons. But yet the, you see him then as, as Israel, as the, the patriarch, as, as someone then that, that is to be emulated, is to be admired. Uh, but it's not because of his moral performance, but because of his humbling himself before the holy and righteous God of the universe. So as you look at our text in, in Hosea, and look at verse 6. So he, he's, he's telling us the story of, of Jacob. And then he gives the application flowing out of this biblical text. And he says that, so you, Israel, by the help of your God, return, hold fast. So there's that, that image that flowing from Jacob. He's holding fast to God. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. And so you, so you see Jacob wandered from God. He went into moral decline. We have wandered from God. We have gone into moral decline. Jacob lived a life of deception. We have so often lived lives of deception. But Jacob returned to God by the help of his God. He wrestled with God. And our call is to return to God by the help of God, to wrestle with him. And what flows out is this love, this justice, this this waiting on God. And that's your call today. That's my call as well. That's the, the message of this hope, this message not just for a nation in decline, but for people in decline, individuals in decline, that, that we remember that God coming down in, in human form, that, that there was some form that Jacob wrestled with, but eventually in the fullness of time, God did take on a true human nature that, that he is fully God, fully man, and one perp- in one person. That, that he died, rose again, he paid the penalty for our sins, he purchased eternal life. And so to us individually, the call is return, hold fast to love and justice, wait continually for your God. The call to the church, to Hope Church, to the church throughout America, the church throughout the world, is return, hold fast to love and justice, wait continually for your God. And then the call for for all of humanity in light of the work of Jesus is to return. And so today, have you returned? Where are you in your path? Are you still in the path of, of moral decline? Are, are you following what is right in your own eyes? Are, are you in the place of, of, of fear, of seeing all of the bad decisions crashing in on you? Or are you at the place of, of decision, of, of that, that place of encounter with God, of taking hold of God and saying, I'm not going to let go of you. And God all says, well, actually, I'm the one who's not going to let go of you. And you need to be humbled before me to admit that you can't save yourself, that it's my promises, not your obedience, that is the answer. And that's even what we see here in this meal, that, that this meal is a return to the Lord, that we return every week to this meal to remember what Christ has done for us, to, to take hold of Christ's body and blood by faith again, to say, say don't, don't let go of me. I'm waiting on you. I'm looking for to your love that is displayed here, to your justice that is displayed here, taking the punishment that, that we deserve. And I know that I'm a, a person who's naturally in decline and a nation in decline, but our hope is found only in the the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, if you're here and and you haven't had that that Jacob moment of encounter with God, of being brought into a personal relationship with Him through faith and and admitting that you can't save yourself, we're a glad you're here, but we'd encourage you to wait to not take this, that it would be hypocrisy for you to take it. Uh, for the rest, though, you don't have to be a member of Hope Church or Presbyterian Church, but to be one who is holding on to Christ, one who is returning to God, holding fast to love and justice, waiting continually for your God, uh, the God who loves us and gave himself for us. And, and then may have made that public by being baptized, being part of a church that, that preaches the gospel. And one who can Profess your faith using the, the words of the Nicene Creed. So if you look at page 8 there, we'll, we'll read these words together, um, not as just words on the page, but becoming our words, our heart of belief in the God of the Bible and what He has done for us. So please read with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he arose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen. Because on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he would broke it, and he, and he gave it to his disciples. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way, after supper, he took the cup. said, this cup is the, the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come when you're ready. Take your cup. Back to your chair, we'll take it together, and you can drop your cup in the trash can there on your on your way out. But let, let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for being the, the God who announced the decline of Israel at the during the life of Hosea. And Lord, he, he had the the difficulty, the the trial of living at a trying time for his nation, uh, for the, the people of God in the Old Testament. And Lord, we acknowledge that and we will lament the the, the hardship of our current time, that, that there are so many difficulties. We know that every generation has faced difficulty and and that our situation in the course of history is not unique. But yet, Lord, we, we feel it, we worry about it, um, even though we shouldn't worry because we know you are sovereign over history. But, Father, we, we pray that we would be able to acknowledge and, and see the judgment of your word, but that we would also hold on to hope. We, we pray that we can be those ambassadors of, of hope to the world around us, to proclaim the good news of Christ, to be um, a light not of just pointing out what is wrong, but being able to, to show that, that even the, the great patriarchs of the Old Testament uh, went through these periods of lying and deceit and, and moral decline and, and walking away from God and failing to hold on to the promises. And Lord, we know that we do that, that we follow the pattern of, of Jacob, but, but as he becomes Israel, as he holds on to God, doesn't let go of him, wrestles with him, um, even has his hip put out of joint, but yet receives the blessing, receives the promise. Lord, we, we hold on to those firm covenant promises, the, the covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob that was then given to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai and reiterated to David and proclaimed by the prophets and held forth by John the Baptist and then proclaimed in the ministry of Jesus and brought to its fullness and the coming of Christ to die and to suffer, and, and Lord, we look for the final installment of that promise in the return of Christ. Uh, but Lord, we we pray that it's that that could give us hope and, and confidence and and stability, and and that, that we could be not a, a force of of empty positivity to the nation around us, uh, but that we can be yes, weeping prophets, but weeping prophets with the greatest hope, the best news. That, that we all need. And so, Lord, as we come to this meal today, we pray that as we know that Christ is uniquely spiritually present with us here in the gathering of your people, that that you would use this again to, to strengthen our hope, that, that we would take hold of you by faith as we take the bread and the juice, that that we would wrestle with you in this meal, and that we would experience the, the humbling hand of your sovereignty upon us and your promises in christ so we pray all of this in the name of jesus